0: This is an ABC News special. COVID 19 What You Need to Know. From ABC News
1: headquarters, here is correspondent Aaron Katursky. The number of coronavirus cases in New York has soared to more than 30,000. It is by far the hardest hit state in the country. More people have needed to go to the hospital because of the virus than predicted. But today, Governor Andrew Cuomo saw progress. He said density reduction measures seem to be working.
2: To the extent people say, boy, these are burdensome requirements, uh, social distancing, no restaurants, uh, no non-essential workers, yes, they are burdensome. By the way, they are effective and they're necessary, and the evidence suggests at this point that they have slowed the hospitalizations. And this is everything.
1: Everything because Cuomo said eventually the state could need 140,000 hospital beds when it only has 53,000 currently available. Dr. Della Tagapur from the ABC News Medical Unit is here with us now. So more people have had to go to the hospital because of the virus than first predicted. But as Cuomo says, the rate of hospitalization seems to be coming down.
3: Yeah, Erin, it's really interesting. Governor Cuomo brings up a really good point that reminds us of two things. One, that social isolation, staying home, staying away, and following all the strict guidelines that we've been putting in place, especially here in New York as the epicenter, that that is working. Um, But the hospitalization bit, it's also part of the fact that we know that most people will have mild cases and can probably stay out of hospitals. I think People listening to what's out there from scientists and researchers is really starting to have an impact.
1: Cuomo seemed to say the same thing, that that this is evidence that burdensome though they may be, keeping six feet apart and keeping everybody out of work and kids out of school, this stuff is making a difference.
3: Definitely. And I think it's also a good reason and a good... uh, point that highlights that we should continue doing what's working and not giving up on what we know is starting to make a change.
1: Yeah, don't want to take your your foot off the brake just yet. Um, There are a couple of uh, statistics that have uh, stood out over the last couple of days, particularly here in in New York City. Uh, The the death rate among men is 62 percent, and that's uh, far more than it is among women. Do we know anything more about why men seem to have a higher mortality rate associated with coronavirus?
3: So our best guesses and our best predictions have a lot to do with the things that put men at risk in other situations. We know that men in general smoke more than women do. Uh, Globally, men smoke about 40% and women about 9%. Now, that doesn't mean that there's a direct correlation. Of course, we know that this is a primarily respiratory illness affecting the lungs, and that pneumonia is one of the primary reasons for mortality. So this is just kind of part of our early understanding.
1: In New York City, 46% of cases are aged 18 to 44, and we keep hearing that the most serious cases involve older people, people with underlying conditions, but this shows that the, the virus is hitting younger people. Why is that?
3: That's right. And it's uh, a good reminder. It helps us emphasize that we're all vulnerable to this. Everyone is being affected or has the potential of being exposed, including the youth. Now, the youth have never thought to be uh, protected from this virus. Before, we were saying that they were carriers or asymptomatic, and it was the elderly. But now we're seeing more and more that the youth are vulnerable, too. The data that came out of the CDC was from the first 2,500 cases, so we can argue that they might be the most severe cases. That includes youth, middle age, and the elderly. And the youth, you know, they have other vulnerabilities. It might be in part because of an attitude or a belief that they are not at risk, and so putting themselves in situations where they're exposed multiple times. We saw all those images of spring breakers, all of those Generation X and Z and everyone uh, who was still out there when we were warning people not to be. So it could be that they're exposed over and over, and it could also be that they have the same underlying chronic conditions that put other people at risk.
1: What about vaping or smoking?
3: Yeah, that's a, that's a big problem. So the youth actually vape in much higher numbers than, than other age groups, making them much, potentially much more vulnerable. There are studies that are coming out that elucidate that vaping can put your lung and obviously therefore respiratory conditions at a higher threshold. And so with youth being more vulnerable to all the things out there that make people want to vape, they're probably vaping more, they're at home, they're stressed. Um, they have histories of vaping that their families might not know about, so that might make them more vulnerable to severe infection. I wanted
1: to ask you about one more thing before we let you go, Dr. Tagboard, that there are some reports doctors in New York hospitals are giving patients who have COVID-19 uh, rather high doses of vitamin C. Is there any sign that that is actually effective?
3: So there's no current evidence that vitamin C in massive doses is preventive or curative. This isn't over-the-counter vitamin C that you can pop or some gummy vitamins that you can chew. This is IV vitamin C given in large doses to patients who are really sick. These patients are septic. And the state of sepsis when your body is breaking down and you have a high infection in your system actually depletes vitamin C or can deplete vitamin C, especially as we're seeing in COVID-19 cases. So that vitamin C might just be depleting you know, what your, your body needs and not necessarily adding it. We also have to remember that the vitamin C isn't given by itself. It's being given with some of this compassionate care cocktails that we hear about, things like hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, or other various biologics and blood thinners. So it's not done alone. So we shouldn't jump to any conclusions quite yet.
1: So everyone's quarantine cocktail of vodka and emergency is not quite the preventive that anybody (laughs) may have hoped.
3: It might help them get through some of the stress, but not COVID-19 itself.
1: Dr. Tagforth, thanks so much.
3: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Dr. Della Tagapur with the ABC News Medical Unit. We're going to shift now to California and bring in ABC's Alex Stone because, Alex, the governor has cast doubt on any notion of getting his state reopened by Easter, a time frame that has been suggested by President Trump at the White House.
4: Well, that's exactly right. Governor Newsom here, Aaron, is saying he sees no way that this is going to be over in the next couple of weeks, in potentially even the next couple of months, that he believes that we will continue this upward climb for about the next six to eight weeks and then won't really get over it for about 12 weeks. He says that he understands there is desire in this country to get things open again, but he says it's just not realistic, that looking at the numbers of folks who are sick, the numbers who are dying here in California going up, as they are in other areas of the country. And he says the next couple of weeks, this being over, he sees no way that that's going to happen.
1: And in fact, the the state seems to be taking steps to enforce the rules about social distancing and keeping essential businesses closed.
4: Absolutely. The The problem is here in L.A., there are some businesses that are saying, no, that they're not going to close, that telling the, the mayor and the governor, you don't have the authority to, to do this, or they feel that they are essential Gun stores were staying open. The sheriff here in L.A. County ordered that they shut down. There were long lines of people to get guns and ammo. Now the, the sheriff has said, okay, we're going to rule that the gun stores are essential. You can stay open. They're trying to prevent the panic buying at gun stores as they were shutting them down. But there are many other stores and restaurants that are not adhering to the stay-at-home rule. And now the mayor here in L.A., he says... The LAPD is going to be enforcing they will make arrests. They will write tickets. There will be fines. Prosecutors are getting involved. And now they're going to send the Department of Water and Power in to shut off the water and power to businesses that aren't shutting down. This is uh, the mayor saying it's time that everybody listen. You know
5: who you are. You need to stop it. This is your chance to step up and to shut it down, because if you don't, we will shut you down.
4: Shut you down. And he says, if we don't arrest you, if we don't find you, without you knowing, the Department of Water and Power is going to come out and nothing will come out of that tap. Your lights won't come on. He says that will shut you down.
1: ABC's Alex Stone with us from Los Angeles. They are serious there and elsewhere about these rules and as evidenced by the drop in the hospitalization rate here in new york there is some evidence that all of these burdensome rules do seem to be having an effect alex thank you you got it thanks aaron and coming up amy robach sits with abc news chief medical correspondent dr jennifer ashton to answer more of your questions about the outbreak of covid19 i'm aaron katursky you're listening to an abc news special
0: listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: New York's metropolitan area is now considered a high-risk area in the coronavirus pandemic. Federal officials are now asking anyone traveling from there to self-isolate for 14 days. And the governor of Louisiana expressing concern his state may be on track to become the country's new epicenter. Joining us now is ABC chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton, who is reporting from home on self-quarantine. Jen, there are new reports right now that some doctors in New York hospitals are giving massive doses of vitamin C to help their patients who have COVID-19. What's the science behind this?
7: This is really interesting, Amy. It's not the first time that we've heard about uh high dose vitamin C used in critically ill patients. There's actually a decent amount of literature on it um, in the medical literature for critically ill patients. However, for COVID-19, um, it definitely is not ready for prime time. Um, it is generally a low risk treatment. It's a water soluble vitamin. Um, but right now it's hard to tell whether there's any major benefit. And again, right now this this is for treatment of critically ill patients with COVID-19, not for prevention.
6: All right, we are going to be turning to you throughout the broadcast for answers to many people's questions, so stay with us. But in the meantime, we're going to turn now to ABC's Rachel Scott, who is in Washington with
8: the latest headlines for us. Prince Charles has tested positive for the coronavirus. Royal officials say the Prince of Wales had been displaying mild symptoms and is now self-isolating in Scotland. They say his wife does not have the illness. And back here at home, one of the nation's top commercial labs is now ramping up COVID-19 testing. Quest Diagnostics announcing it's now able to run 25,000 tests a day at three labs across the country with plans for nearly a dozen labs by the end of the week. And now to the warning from the Department of Justice telling prosecutors to consider terrorism charges against those who threaten others with the spread of the coronavirus and also announcing a crackdown on hoarding and price gouging. And finally, the new look for the nation's grocery stores. Word from Walmart and Publix that they will be setting up see-through barriers between cashiers and customers, those plexiglass guards, to be installed over the next couple of weeks. Amy, really trying to take that next step to keep everybody safe. Yeah, it makes sense. I've already started to see that in some of my
6: grocery stores that I've been uh, attending. So very good news indeed. Rachel, thanks for being with us. As the number of coronavirus cases continue to rise around the country, there are certain areas with large numbers of cases of growing concern. And now Louisiana has more cases per capita than every other state except for New York and Washington. Governor John Bell Edwards receiving a major disaster declaration. And here via FaceTime is the director of the New Orleans Public Health Department, Dr. Jennifer Avegno. Thanks for being with us, Dr. Avegno and Orleans Parish has the sixth highest rate of known coronavirus cases of any county in the U.S. Do you know why?
8: Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I don't know that we'll ever know why, um, there's, because it's multifactorial. Uh, you know, like, we're an urban area. We're not as dense as New York, but we know that density of crowds spreads disease. Um, We are social people. We are out all the time. As you know, we have festivals, we have celebrations, we have parades. And so we're more likely in February to be in close contact with one another than other places. And we're also intergenerational. There is a lot of family connectedness here and a lot of people living under one roof. And then finally, you know, we have ramped up our testing significantly. So a lot of the increase that we're seeing is due to being able to perform a lot more tests in a short period of time compared to other states. Right, and we know that state and local governments
6: there have incurred, this is a huge number, more than $65.6 million in costs related to the coronavirus in Louisiana. So what needs to happen next for your area?
8: Well, we're really encouraged by uh, the president um, accepting our governor's request to declare a disaster, as he's done in other states. That is going to help tremendously in getting those resources that we need, like everywhere else, like New York City, like Los Angeles, like Seattle, like everywhere else in between. We need equipment. We need ventilators. We need personal protective equipment. Um, We need the things that every community in America struggling to get. And so uh, we really appreciate having these extra resources. We have been on this, working this for weeks and weeks, but this is going to really benefit our health care workers and our community.
6: And speaking to that, do you feel like at this point, New Orleans has been a part of the national discussion or have you been overlooked until now? Because certainly you're making headlines today.
8: Well, you know, it's not about being first and it's not about being worst. It's about understanding the magnitude and advocating you know, our congressional delegation certainly hasn't been quiet. They have been advocating for us for day one. We are fortunate. You know, this is not our first crisis. This is not our first disaster. We are battle tested. We have great relationships with the governor's office, with the state. And we've been working together on this for weeks advocating. We knew what we were going to need and started asking early. Um, so whether we're getting media coverage or that of that or not, We've always been um, out front trying to get what we needed.
6: Yeah, you certainly make a very good point. New Orleans knows how, and the state of Louisiana knows how to rise up. Dr. Jennifer Avegno, thanks for being with us today.
8: Thank you so much.
6: Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti says his city is six to 12 days away from seeing the same kinds of COVID-19 numbers as here in New York City. And Mayor Eric Garcetti joins us now with more on the uptick in cases there. Mayor, thanks for being with us. And as your city now continues to fight the spread of this virus, what would you say is your biggest challenge right now?
5: I think our biggest challenge is what we're all facing, making sure that we have testing so that we know exactly how widespread this is. Getting equipment and people into our hospitals and caring for those folks that are on the front lines. And also, of course, just making sure that we know indeed that people are all staying at home. But we're seeing good data coming forward that people actually are listening. I know the exceptions get on the news the people who crowded the beach this weekend or when folks all hike on the same path. But by and large, we've seen extreme adherence to this, which is a great sign. Those empty streets are a little bit haunting, but they're also very much warming and reaffirming to us that this is working.
6: Yeah, unfortunately, that is what we need to see right now. Uh, Also unfortunate, a teenager from L.A. County is one of the latest victims to die from COVID-19. So this is an opportunity for you to send a message to young people in your city.
5: Absolutely. Um, This is a virus and ultimately then an affliction that will take anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're young it doesn't matter whether you're a senior whether you have pre-existing conditions or not we know there's greater vulnerability for some people but there's the potential for anyone to lose their life so my plea to my city has been very strong you can be a first responder you can save a life but your selfishness can also take a life of somebody that you love uh, a neighbor a parent or grandparent so please 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 make sure that during this time you're adhering 100% to our stay-at-home, safer-at-home order. And we think that word is getting out, especially with a lot of influencers and people who young people look up to, really getting that message out.
6: Right. And that is important when they hear their peers who they look up to, say, stay at home, not only just for your own protection, but for others. And unfortunately, this death, I'm sure, is a wake up call to many young people as well. Now, we heard from President Trump, who says he would like he wants the economy back open by Easter. So, as he says, the churches can be packed. Is that a reality for Los Angeles? And I just like your reaction to what President Trump has asked for.
5: It won't be a reality here in Los Angeles. And as much as I'd love to share his hope and optimism, I don't want to crush people's uh, spirits either. We're asking a lot of people. And for me, I keep listening to the public health professionals, the science and the data, and looking at what happened around the world. There is no scenario here in which we aren't in this scene at least for a couple of months in Los Angeles. And we really have to steel ourselves for that, ready ourselves for that. And I'm focused on helping those that are the least and lost whether it's our our homeless folks or folks that are out of work now, to get them food, to get them the cash payments that luckily the stimulus bill will now bring, but also to make sure that all of us are lending a hand. And I think people at the beginning of this thought it would be chaos and it would be unrest. Crime is down. Generosity is up. Adherence is almost universal. And so I really tell people these are the rays of light through these dark clouds, but don't expect to be back to normal in just a couple of weeks.
6: Yeah, this is truly the new normal, but thank you for those rays of hope. We can all use them. Mayor Eric Garcetti, thank you so much for joining us thank and you. stay well.
5: You've been an amazing voice. Thanks so much.
6: Thanks. Up next on what you need to know, the crushing disappointment for Olympic athletes now that the 2020 games have been postponed. Many were training their entire lives for this moment. Soccer star Carly Lloyd is here next.
0: This ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know, continues after this. You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, What You Need to Know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: Welcome back. We learned Tuesday morning, the 2020 Tokyo Summer Olympics have officially been postponed due to the COVID-19 outbreak. And that means a lot of changes for Olympic athletes, including U.S. women's soccer star and two-time gold medalist Carly Lloyd. 2020 would have been Carly's fourth time in the Olympic Games. And with her turning 38 in July, potentially her last, but she's putting off retirement for a chance to take home a third gold medal. And Carly is joining us via Skype to tell us more. And Carly, first, I just want to get your reaction when you heard that the Olympics were officially postponed to 2021.
9: Uh, Yeah, I mean, some crazy times going on. I think uh, obviously, you know, an Olympics is is every four years and so many athletes uh, spend their lives, you know, training and and getting ready for this moment. So this is a this is a big deal for it to be postponed. I, I know it throws a wrench in many people's training schedule and um, obviously rescheduling of that. But I'm just glad that it's not entirely canceled and uh, we will be all able to compete in it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's crazy. But I think it's definitely the right thing to do. And, um, you know, amidst all this uh, unprecedented uh, pandemic going on.
6: And Carly, you are a two-time World Player of the Year, a two-time World Cup champion, the only player to score the winning goal in two Olympics. And on top of that all, you've been playing on the national team for 15 years. I said you were not going to retire, so I'm just. But I'm just curious: is there any question in your mind? Are you running through any scenarios about not continuing on for a 16th year to compete in Tokyo?
9: No, it's you know it's crazy. Um, it's been an amazing journey. I would have never predicted any of this. Um, you know, I've had the the time of my life, uh, training, competing, playing with my teammates. Um, it, it's been it's been a wild ride. And and while. You know, we were all looking forward to competing this summer. Um, I'm kind of finding a little bit of a silver lining in it. You know, it's more time to prepare, more time to get myself fit, stronger, um, become better on the field. And I think it's you know going to give me uh, another year to, to really leave it all out on the field. Yeah. Um, I wasn't sure what I was going to do, <laughs> um, but another year sounds sounds pretty good. So I just have to keep grinding away.
6: Yeah, now you know. And I, what a great way to look at it because now you do have an extra year to prepare. Uh, what are you and your teammates talking about doing in this year to prepare for the games to be extra ready?
9: Well, there's going to have to be some you know, scheduling changes. I know the, the schedule was in place, um, getting ready to, to compete. We had a couple of send-off games coming up. Obviously, our April games were canceled. Um, so we don't really have anything kind of on the this, this schedule until June. Um, we don't know what's going to happen with this pandemic. Hopefully, things start to slow down and everybody goes back to normal. Um, but we all are you know, competing in our NWSL leagues Uh, over the the course of uh, the summer and and into the fall. So we'll have that. And, yeah, I mean, we're just going to have to kind of, you know, take take each day as it comes and and figure it out. But it doesn't throw a huge wrench into our schedule and and training. We just get more time. And it's been a good mental recharge uh, for myself and I'm sure all of my teammates. Stay well.
6: Thank you for being with us, Carly Lloyd. We appreciate it. We're going to turn again now to Dr. Jen Ashton here for more answers to your coronavirus questions. Dr. Jen, we're going to start with the first one. Is there any correlation between blood type and whether or not you get the virus or how sick you become? That's a really interesting question. There was a limited study done very early
7: on in this outbreak that showed that people who had type A blood were significantly at greater risk of getting sick with COVID-19 than people who had type O blood, who were less likely. Now, it definitely needs more research. It hasn't been peer-reviewed. But if there is any truth to it, it does have implications for healthcare workers. It's not really for the lay public, but in terms of stratifying risk of healthcare workers, it may be useful, but really inconclusive right now.
6: All right, our second question. This is a good one. Does the virus migrate once it's on the skin? The warning is to keep your hands away from your nose, mouth, and eyes. But what if you touch your cheek or your forehead? So the virus doesn't crawl, okay, like a, like
7: some parasites do. But again, let's say it's on your cheek and you just brush your hand over your cheek and then two seconds later you touch your eye or your nose or your mouth, that's how you can get infected. So again, the contact transmission,
6: the hand washing is really, really important. You know, once it's on your face, it's easy to move it to a place where it could then be uh, you know, virulent. All right. Here's our third question. Exactly. Does the latest pneumonia vaccination for seniors help with symptoms? Well, that Pneumovax vaccine, which is for pneumococcal
7: pneumonia, is really important for people over the age of 65. However, that does not protect you against this novel coronavirus. What it may do is lower your risk of getting pneumonia from multiple pathogens. Remember, people who go to the hospital sick with pneumonia, they can have more than one type of pneumonia. We hear that with the flu. You can have a viral pneumonia, then with a superimposed bacterial pneumonia. So not a direct protection, but still important nevertheless.
6: All right. And Jen, we've been talking over the past few days about the nationwide blood shortage and encouraging people that it's still safe to donate. But this next question is interesting. Are people giving blood, they ask, required to have a COVID-19 test and await those results before donating. They're not, but the American Red Cross is taking really,
7: really aggressive additional steps right now in the setting of the pandemic. So they are checking people's temperatures. There's no evidence that this uh, COVID-19 or novel coronavirus can be transmitted via blood, but they're taking a lot of extra precautions and we desperately need more blood donations. So people, if they're interested, can go online, see what testing center is near them and register online. All right. That is
6: great advice. Now, I was just talking about this because this time of year so many of us have allergies and so our next question is and I get them every year seasonally and right about this time of year so question our next question is where we live pollen and tree mold allergies are in full swing how can you tell if sneezing coughing and sore throat are just allergies versus a case of COVID-19 the first thing
7: is, Amy, no one knows you better than you. So if something feels bizarre to you, that's when your radar index of suspicion should go up. You should start you know, paying attention maybe a little more closely. The other thing is that COVID-19 really has such a massive range of symptoms. Many people have such mild symptoms, they may have no symptoms, so they don't know they're infected. The classic ones are, are easy to spot fever, cough, fatigue, um, some chest pain if it's severe in terms of respiratory issues. But the other common cold or allergy-like symptoms, people can have those too. And that's why it all circles back to testing. We need to be able to test so many people so we can get a grip. Because remember,
6: you can have two things at the same time. You can have allergies and you can have coronavirus. All right, Dr. Jen, as always, thank you so much. And if you have your questions for Dr. Ashton, you can send them to her Instagram at Dr. Jay Ashton. We have much more ahead as we continue on what you need to know, some help navigating your technical devices to keep that virtual connection strong, and the surprising new ways we are keeping our pets safe. drive through vet visits. We're back in a moment.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19. What you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: And welcome back with the majority of Americans working from home during the coronavirus pandemic. Our devices are all being put to the test, whether by laptop or cell phone. Both need to be up to date in order for you to successfully work from home. Stephanie Humphrey is here to help us navigate our devices during this critical time. And Steph, I know you have worked remotely. So what are some of the tips you have for video conferences, which are so popular right now?
10: Yeah, yeah. So video conferences, top three things. Test your equipment first. So you want to make sure that your mic and your speakers are working. You also want to familiarize yourself with whatever software uh, your company is using so that you know how to use it. Uh, That's the first thing. Headphones are key. You really want as clean uh, uh, as audio as you can get. And then mute yourself if you're not speaking. I know it's going to be tough these days to uh, maybe find a quiet place in your house, so uh, if that's not the case, make sure you're just muting yourself when you're not speaking. Also, uh, if you don't need the video, turn the video off. We saw that viral video this week of of a woman who unfortunately (laughs) uh, took her phone into the restroom. So you want to make sure that we're not having situations like that. You also want to make sure you're on Wi-Fi if possible. Uh, If you're on your smartphone, though, make sure you're somewhere that you're getting a really strong cell signal. And finally, make sure you're looking at the camera. I know a lot of people tend to look at the screen. when they're video conferencing instead of the camera. And it makes a difference. You want to keep that connection with your teammates uh, via video conference as well. All
6: right, you mentioned Wi-Fi. Obviously, it's important when you're working from home. So any tips on how to get the best connection, especially when a lot of people are on Wi-Fi in your home at one time.
10: Yeah, yeah, well, it might be as simple as moving your router. You don't wanna have your router next to any large metal objects in your home, and you don't wanna have it next to any appliances that emit electromagnetic signals. So you really don't want your router right next to your television, which is where a lot of people keep it, or right next to that place where everybody charges their phones, or right next to a heater, or anything like that. So maybe just moving the router to a different place in the house might help with that. You can also... uh, make sure that the firmware is updated so you'll need to go to the website of your internet service provider and log in there to make sure you're using the most up-to-date firmware you also could change the channel on the router or the frequency you can do that on the website of your internet service provider as well or you can invest in boosters repeaters extenders they all kind of do the same thing which is to amplify the signal around your home if you have any dead spots or you can just really kind of redo your network altogether and create a mesh network that will sort of replace your router and cover every area of your home. And one simple thing that you can do is make sure you have a strong password because there could Mm. be some folks next door or a couple doors down that are uh, stealing your Wi-Fi and and, uh, weakening that signal as well.
6: Yeah, that's a good point, especially in apartment buildings. Now, I love this next tip because We're all used to communicating with each other, our coworkers face to face. Sometimes things get lost in translation when you're doing this remotely. So give us some of the rules for remote communication between coworkers.
10: Well, think about what you need to communicate. If it's something that is company sensitive or maybe a little bit negative, you may not necessarily want to send that via email. You want to pick up the phone and have a call around that because depending on whether or not you've actually logged into your uh, works uh, network, or something like that, your your security might be compromised. So you want to make sure that you're not having any conversations over your own Wi-Fi that might get compromised. Also, um, be respectful of others' time. You know, we're home. Everybody's home now. You know people are home. So you may tend to want to uh, communicate with them whenever you get ready. And maybe it might be outside of office hours. So you want to be respectful of other people's time. You also don't want to inundate your coworkers with messages. And then it might be a good idea to too, if you don't already have them, if your company doesn't already have them, suggest that you establish some rules of communication. I know this whole thing, uh, working from home is new for a lot of people. So you may not be familiar with what the company rules are. There may not be any in place that, uh, that work for the, for the new normal that we're dealing with right now.
6: All right. These are all great, great tips. Stephanie Humphrey, thank you so much for being with us today. All right, we're checking in now with Dr. Jen Ashton. Dr. Jen, a lot of people still asking so many questions about testing. Who should get tested? How and where are tests available? So when you talk about testing, Amy, we have to remember there's
7: two big components. The need to test as many people as possible, including those who don't have symptoms. That's kind of the holy grail because that's how we get a real handle on how common this is in our society, in our country. We're not there yet. That's going to to involve some blood testing, that's going to involve finger pricks, as we call point-of-care testing, so we can get results in 15 minutes, and the gold standard, which is the PCR swab, which can take days right now. So that part of it is test as many people as we can. The other part is that right now, especially in hot spot areas, If you have mild symptoms and you go to get a test, number one, you use valuable resources like PPEs and expose healthcare workers to risk. And if you don't have coronavirus, you put yourself at risk because by definition, the people who are showing up to get tested are generally those with symptoms. So we really need to reconcile these
6: two areas and we need to do it quickly. All right, Dr. Jen, you'll be right back answering more questions. Stay with us.
0: You're listening to an ABC News special, COVID-19, what you need to know. Once again, here is ABC News correspondent Amy Robach.
6: Amid the coronavirus pandemic, we're taking every precaution to keep ourselves and our loved ones safe, but many people are left wondering how to keep our furry friends healthy, too. Well, introducing drive-through vet clinics. Here to update us on that is veterinarian and founder of Laytonsville Veterinary Practice, Dr. Claire Godwin. Dr. Godwin, thanks for being with us. You are using a drive-through technique for vet visits, so tell us how it works.
2: Certainly. Um, we've instituted this policy where um, we have the clients, when they make an appointment, go on our website and fill out a form on, and submit it online that talks about what exactly they want done during the appointment time. And uh, we can get that and uh, review it before they even get here. And when they um, come for the appointment, they use their cell phone to call us or even text us and say, hey, I'm here. And uh, so we respond via text or or, uh, with a phone call and say, okay, we'll be out in a minute. And one of the technicians goes out and say it's a dog. Um, They'll go out and meet them on the walkway uh, where the transfer of the pet um, uh, is accomplished with the technician slipping one of our leashes on and the, the owner removing the leash from the dog. And then the technician brings the dog into the exam room and uh, where the doctor is. And uh, we start with vitals and, and a review of what needs to be done during the visit and then um, get the phone uh, going on speakerphone in the exam room so that the client can be there with us virtually. Mm-hmm. Pretty remarkable. <laughs> and I know a lot of people. Uh people are very happy that they can
6: do all of that, make sure their pets are safe and also have continued good health as well. So thank you for all you're doing. We appreciate it. All right, we're checking in now with Dr. Jen Ashton for her final thoughts today. Amy, I'm just answering so many questions on Twitter and
7: Instagram. Um, Today I'm looking at three things. One in terms of the science, we're learning more and more about the clinical data and the behavior of this virus, um, how people present, how many more cases there are. We know that over 100,000 people officially, probably way more than that, have recovered. Um, So that's been important. We talked a little bit before about the symptomatology. There is such a broad range of symptoms. Everyone is nervous. But again, the majority of people who are infected with COVID-19 get better on their own just if you are sick isolate and stay at home. And then lastly, the emotional part of that. I think this is a massive opportunity to remember that just because things don't look the same right now, this is a temporary situation. Everyone's having feelings of uncertainty and anxiety and fear. But remember, according to psychologists, feelings are not facts. Um, Even though we're socially distanced, we still want to connect with each other um, and help each other through this. And I think Um, We have to focus on the good news that there are clinical trials going on and there will be more testing and
6: we will get through it and we will get through it together. All right, Dr. Jen, thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. That's our program for today. I'm Amy Robach. Thanks for listening.
0: ABC News, honored winner of four Edward R. Murrow Awards. ABC News, America's number one news choice. You see headlines across your screen all day, but you're busy. What do you need to know? What's actually shaping your world? I'm Brad Milkey from ABC News, and every morning we start here. It was extraordinary for us watching here in Singapore. This is ABC's new daily podcast, a handful of stories, just
4: 20 minutes. Director Comey, thanks for being with
0: us. Newsmaker, smart reporting, taking you straight to the heart of the story. Start here.
8: Listen for free on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.